Okay. <laughs> okay. Now both of our recordings are on. Is anyone recording? Okay. So yes. They're both on or both off? Yeah, they're both on. You might be um, getting something. The, okay. uh, the new software that I'm using, you have to uh, click record and then hold down command and click record again on the other, like your multi-selecting record buttons, and I have accidentally turned off one track and on another many times. Many times. So there's no chance that this will be a one-sided conversation. I mean, we'll not any, to recreate later. Not any more than it usually is. Uh, it is. Didn't uh, we do that one time? Probably for our I, football thing. Uh, yeah, I had some lonely, lonely episodes of the football podcast where I, I, I mean, I'm on a schedule. There's football, the football games, even the fake games. It was, this was a fantasy football podcast. The fake games were going to happen. Uh, whether both of us were available or not. I don't plan to do that with this podcast because it is entitled Cameron and Brock are two people. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try an opener here. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I have um, on my, on my list that I, it really isn't a list uh, of three things. I think I just hit the microphone with the list. The first, uh, the first one is the curtain and I'll explain that in a second. This is Cameron and Brock are two people. I'm Cameron. That's Brock. I'm Brock. Oh yes. <laughs> I, I speak occasionally. <laughs> it's a completely balanced two-sided <laughs> podcast where there's equal dialogue <laughs> given into both both individuals. Um, I've known Brock since I was we were uh, six or seven. I want to say six. Um, I'll go with six. We've been doing podcasts f- for not quite that entire time, uh, and I would if I had to elevator pitch this podcast, I would say. Uh, that I don't want to do that, uh, but if you <laughs> if you forced me to, I'd say it would be about uh, learning what uh, learning how we both ended up uh, thirty five with multiple children, or we're n- neither of us are thirty five. So thirty five. That I got a little frightened there for a second because I thought maybe I just forgot. I, I definitely am at the age where I don't. I'm not completely sure which age I am. I feel. Yeah, I feel like 35 is, uh, you know how like you, you hit uh, 19 and it's a nothing age, right? You hit like 24 and I was fighting real hard not to think too much about 25. Um, and then you don't want to hit 30. Then when you hit 30, it's, I would say, almost a little bit nice because now you're not in your 20s anymore. Then you can be like, ah, oh, those 20-year-olds is damn damn idiots uh 35 i feel like is the black hole around which all age 30 ages are are rotating like i'm 33 but i think that's more or less nonsense like i'm basically 35 when i'm 37 i'll also basically be 35 i think you're just 35 until you're 40 well i mean that's a very interesting (laughs) I don't know if you're if that's a tactic to make us feel less stressed out about the whole uh, age and death thing or uh, just a, a way to like avoid having to pick apart what age you are like is yeah. it where you start out with weeks old then months and then everybody hates it when somebody says more than 12 months old on a kid or more than let's say more than 24 certainly uh. and and then we go from there as if it shouldn't change later. But 
according to you, and I'm sort of liking this, Margaret, you know, once you're 30, you should go buy fives. And once you're like 70, maybe decades, maybe just sort of generally talk about what happened when you were younger and then people get the idea you're old well eventually i mean time is a flat circle eventually it comes back around and it's very interesting you're like oh he's 89 wow you know all of a sudden the separate years are are meaningful (laughs) again but i'm not saying that like i don't i don't want to not celebrate a birthday until i'm 35 but i just don't i i feel like once you're over 30 and under 40 you're just 35 that's right. You know, I am also 33. I determined. Yeah. After some thought. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's weird. I think it was today or yesterday. I had this epiphany about midlife crisis. I wouldn't call it an epiphany, but I was, for whatever reason, thinking what requires, you know, what is required to have one? It doesn't have anything to do with midlife. I don't know why I was thinking this, but. I think that what is occurring to me right now is that you have all these things that you imagine will happen in the future and they're grand. Uh, A good example that everyone will be familiar with is flying cars or jetpacks. Well, I don't know if I ever really thought those things, but you think things like we'll cure cancer and we'll go to, we'll have a colony on Mars and whatever your thing is. You imagine this, and the older you get, the less that happens. You sort of just keep lowering the bar. You're like, they'll, you know, definitely fix the, they'll cure the common cold, and then it doesn't happen. And then you're just like, I just don't want to die of flu. And you feel like (laughs) you're living in the Middle Ages, and you're just like, I just need something. I just need one thing to be like, yes, I lived to see. X. I don't know. I what am what am I looking forward to at this point? Oh God. Uh, well, I mean, the march of time and the march of progress are not always the same thing. I think that we are overly. Uh, I mean, when you're younger and you're you're thinking about the year 2018, all you think about is the progress that will happen by the time we get to be to get to 2018. And you know, I was thinking uh, there's a. Uh, I still want to get back to the curtain, but I want to follow this through, which is there's a um, there's an industrial imbalance, in, and this is honestly right above. There's no sounds in space in in the like pedantic sci-fi, not actually interesting like Neil deGrasse Tyson level art uh, oh, thing. But uh, nailed it. Uh, the the uh, the industrial ratio of almost every future society is all whack. Uh, in in terms of like uh, in the Middle Ages, when there was a guy, um, a knight, a village would uh, or, a, or a castle or what what have you, there would be a lot of resources that would have to go into like arming and feeding one knight or like a group of knights because it it requires uh, raw raw materials. You need uh, you need an armor smith. You need like all of these assistants. You need like people to take care of the horses. Like there's a lot of non glamorous positions leading up to like the high class sort of like uh, privileged guy or group of guys or what have you. And like right. in in sci fi, you you always end up with you know you've got your. Uh, I think Star Trek is a decent example of this. That they're like Star Trek is basically the story of only the most special people on the Enterprise, and then the rest of the Enterprise is ostensibly <laughs> full of thousands of people like mopping. 
they're doing stuff. I yeah. mean, they had like one episode about them, but yeah. So when you look at the future, you're only thinking of the people working on the world's most sexy, most progress-oriented problems. Uh, or like the not even the sexy problems, but like the sexy results, like curing cancer, or um, or populating Mars, or building flying cars. When in reality, like it's not just that the bar is lower; it's just that the um, the complex they're they're much easier problems to solve, and they're much like uh, cheaper problems to solve, both in terms of cost and in terms of like effort to uh, reward. Like, is it easier to? make a flying car or is it easier to put a car inside a rocket you were already building as like a, um, a publicity stunt, right? Uh, is it easier to uh, rebuild a, the, infra- the public transportation infrastructure of a, an entire major American city or, uh, or is it easier to uh, realize that you're not beholden to basic labor laws and, and upend the, uh, the taxi industry? You know what I mean? Ugh. Oh, uh, this guy got cynical. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, you, you went a little cynical with it, yeah. but the the point is true, but it could be also seen as a, a, not exactly noble, but more of a pivot where we have these ideas and we know they mean progress, but sometimes they occur not the way you imagined they would or perhaps not for the reasons you imagined they might and i still think there's progress in that i mean take uh the self-driving car thing i i I promise we'll figure (laughs) out the curtain we'll figure out the curtain thing literally do not get me started on self-driving cars well it sounds like well we should just talk about that at some point then but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the way I will put this is that you can go on for eternity about how great a well-structured public transportation is, but it's the merging between I, I, the ideal outcome and the practical outcome that is progress that will hopefully lead to more progress and free you of some of the problems, right? Yeah. So I won't get into the details of that, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's a thing. And and sometimes it, it happens more nefariously and sometimes it's just a natural practical measure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it is a form of progress and with the right people behind the helm, it can result in like larger scale sort of like uh balanced progress i don't necessarily think the rising tide brings up all ships or you know it's unevenly distributed progress i guess but that to a degree is also just how that goes um but we're all you know it's it's definitely we need the elon musks right we need the uh the knight with the banner you know the person doing the like high profile thing uh yeah you know like it's it is more inspiring to see like a knight riding up the hillside with a banner than it is to know that like the grain production was up 10% with the peasants. Right. We have to, we have to, we have to acknowledge that the mass of humanity is human and not robots or not statistical. Yet. Well, I, I suppose it'd be the mass of robotanity. <laughs> what do you call a bunch of robots in a society? Um, uh, robotany. I like that one. Sure, a robotany. No, robotany sounds like the study of um, metal plants. Uh, we took botany Robot- in high school. 
instead of Wait, biology. Were we, in, we were in the same botany class, weren't we? Mm-hmm. Our teacher uh, was... Botany was the hip science. <laughs> biology, everybody took that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm retroactively making it, so... Okay. I don't remember why at all. Maybe we didn't want to di- dissect things. Our teacher was Miss Olive, which was a weird foreshadowing to my uh, wife's maiden name. <laughs> well, uh, she was actually pretty good, very thorough. I cool. remember I picked botany because it was biology or botany, and I was like, botany sounds interesting and slightly more specific than biology. So maybe you just joined because you knew I was in the class. I mean, yeah, I think we all sort of clustered together. But for the listeners... That's true. Uh, for the listeners' benefit, what we're discussing here, and I'm sure we'll get back to it at some point, I even have already, in my initial elevator pitch for the show, made it sound like this is a show about two white dudes getting old, which I hope I hope we can transcend that that uh, basic topical structure a little bit. Uh, but like what we're talking about here is dual enrolling at a junior college in high school because we were homeschooled. Uh, I was homeschooled my whole life. You were uh, you went to a, a private Christian school until you were eleven. I pub- public school till okay. through third grade, private school through seventh grade, homeschooled until like ninth grade. At which point, we basically just went to the junior college here. Yeah, and then we so we went to junior college, which means that I. Uh, have my first time in a classroom that wasn't for like an annual standardized test uh, to prove the, to the system, to the man that I was still being taught. And I wasn't just like going out back and shooting cans with a BB gun like some homeschool families probably did. Wait, that's what I did in eighth grade. I so. mean, we, we would shoot bumblebees. Um, oh, okay. But uh, we were, uh, <clears throat> so I, my first time in a classroom was uh, when we were 14 taking Latin one because that was the one class they allowed us to take uh, to kind of prove to the junior college that we were capable of, you know, hanging with those tough junior college classes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my weird background, I guess on that, but, uh, that hopefully that lends some context to us talking about botany, uh, (laughs) in any respect. Uh, we were definitely generally the most, competent or at least the most diligent students in most of our <laughs> junior college courses. I would say that um, we potentially were good kids to the degree that we just did. Like, I, I think we just, it didn't occur to us to be bad kids. I don't. I no, that's very true. And as an aside, I can only imagine how young or out of place we looked because now, yes, you just said it was your first time in any classroom, which is something I hadn't even really thought of before. But we were in ninth grade. So what is that, 14? Yeah. But I, and I think I could say you as well, looked like a young 14. There was no growth spurts happening or any no. such thing. I was five. I was, I was a- Frail might <laughs> describe me personally. Five three, maybe, in, with <laughs> with new shoes on. We were an anomaly, but they quickly learned that, you know, they at least would want to study with us. 
I mean, the um, that's true. I don't think I ever did any... St- I mean, maybe your older sister and her friend, I, we studied once together. But I I would generally just ch- get dropped off, do my class, and peace out. I don't really remember much in the way of like interacting with the older kid. I mean, it's a junior college, right? That I feel like our classes were half us, like this weird gaggle of 14 and 50-year-old homeschool kids, and then a handful of actual junior college age kids and then like a bunch of older people going back to um to converse with the teacher mostly and also apparently get a degree or something um that is exactly right it's weird i don't know how we got there got where at all where where we are i don't even botany oh uh cars and everything robotany uh cars in the space robotany oh uh, humanity being transformed into a group of robots yeah so if we were a group of robots then a lot of these ideas would work out more smoothly because of course it would be predictable and you wouldn't need a lot of you know ancillary things to consider and to feed on us like uh but no Humans are complicated and unpredictable in a predictable way, so we'll, well just have to go. You've already re- you've already referred to uh, humanity as a mass, like we're already dealing with the. Uh, oh, I yeah, we are part of the mass, lest you <laughs> forget. I'm a special snowflake, Brock. Have re- you read the Foundation series? Uh, which the Foundation series is that Asimov? Isaac Asimov? No, that's one of the big gaps in my. For all of the sci-fi that I do have, we have a shelf and a half for, of sci-fi stuff. I'm literally here. I'm reaching out and touching a Philip K. D. Dick book that I just started called Lies Incorporated. Uh, I'm like five pages in. Uh, well, if you do, I should read it. I the should first read it. three are all you need to read. Really, just reading the first one, you'll get the gist, uh, the idea of history as a on a large enough scale you can predict how humans will proceed from any given point um maybe not actually possible but the concept is very engaging i want to say that's in a gibson book too like the concept that art is going to predict the near future based on behavioral patterns isn't that a thing do you remember that in like neuromancer or i don't one of those from what did you say Neuromancer? One of the Neuromancer books, I want to say, did some stuff around. I haven't around. read those. Oh, those are I'm very good. Admit, I haven't read them. I can't believe that. Yeah, they're good. Um, they're dense and weird, and I'm not super uncomfortable saying that I couldn't give you like a play-by-play of those books in retrospect. More of a textural feeling, but I believe that was part of it. Um, boy. Uh, yeah, there's a reason those books have not been made into movies. <laughs> Uh, speaking of books that have not been made in the movies, one more sci-fi book while we're on the topic. Um, have you ever read a book called The Forever War by Joe Haldeman? No, I have not read The Forever War or Old Man's War or one other one that is in a similar vein. And mm. I, I basically need to because I understand the, uh, the what it is. I know what it is, but I haven't actually gone through the actual reading. Well, The Forever War... I I feel like uh in this in this like what is the future of humanity uh sci-fi uh milieu uh is hilariously entertaining because it takes all of those ideas and it just throws them as far as possible in one direction where uh well so one direction is in it um it's a story about their um <laughs> tour 
it just seems anyway uh no it uh it starts with uh the concept of relativistic war like oh we sent these guys through white speed to fight this war um but by the time they got there you know all this time had passed and so on and so forth but then the they're the other the bad the baddies are are sending people in white speed uh to fight our guys in the future but by the so it ends up being this like uh relativist it's the story from a perspective of one guy who keeps getting thrown through white space white speed in this uh relativistic wars and hundreds and hundreds of years are passing and all everything is changing about society and the war and everything and it's it's it was uh, written like with uh, the I want to say the Vietnam War had just ended I want to say it's an yeah 70s, I think that was 80s. the idea yeah yeah but boy it you think it's going to be one kind of book like it's going to be a uh, sort of uh, anti war version of uh, Starship Troopers where whereas Starship Troopers is like a oh, the future we're going to flog people in the street and that'll get everybody straight hoorah kind of book this is like the the parody version of that but then it keeps going it just keeps going in that direction to a degree that i was laughing when i was reading it you, you should check out that book i think it is potentially unfilmable until a society gets over certain uh would, certain ideas would you recommend the book yes you absolutely I, it, it is one of my favorite for a good reason yes it's one of my favorite sci-fi okay. books it 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 uh swings so hard for the fences and it and it is really fun to read um well I mean, yeah, that's what they should do. Yeah. Um, all, right. All, all right. The curtain. Hold on. Uh, I'm what, gonna. What? You. Huh? Maybe you should talk for like ten seconds. Okay. I will be right back. But you're gonna be by yourself. Oh. Okay. Handle it. Oh God. Okay. Um. All right. Hello, listeners. Uh, this is Cameron and Brock, or two people. Uh, a podcast in which Cameron and Brock, two people, discuss uh being people. Uh, we've, uh, our, uh, website is Cameronandbrock.com. You can email us at Cameronandbrock at gmail.com and we will ostensibly at some future point read emails that have been sent to us on the podcast. If we so desire, uh, if if you you want to advertise, um, on Cameron and Brock, our two people to our no doubt at least one digit worth of listeners. Uh, you may email Cameron and Brock at gmail.com. Uh, uh, interview requests, uh, press, um, just all that, Cameron and Brock at gmail.com. <clears throat> oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, the curtain. All I, was, all I was getting at with the curtain was the, that I, a, a good portion of the like, time that I spend thinking about what to talk about on this podcast, I'm actually spending thinking about how to talk about what to talk about on this podcast. Where so far we started the podcast uh, with no plan, and then I sort of attempted a plan. Well, where we would come up with lists, and then we would share the list, and then we'd pick things off the list. So There's a lot of uh, whole of, of rigmarole, I would say, that hasn't really played out on air uh, in a way that felt natural. Um, and then, uh, so I can't decide. There's there's sort of uh, three aspects to it. You could say. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, or you, so. For in which case, we could just say, you know, like, oh, we did some planning, or we secretly talked about stuff behind, or maybe we're not even going to mention the curtain. We're just going to talk and be like, mm-hmm. hey. And actually, thirty minutes before this, we had a secret other call that we don't talk about on the podcast, where we oh. discuss what we're going to talk about on the podcast, or we 
pull the curtain back and we say, oh, I made this list. Look, here, up. I'm hitting it on the desk. And, and or, or we do the third thing, which is what I'm doing right now, which is when instead of talk, not acknowledging the curtain or pulling the curtain away, we just talk about the curtain, um, which I feel like is the worst possible option. Is the, cur- is the curtain on your list? I... <laughs> Because that's just full recursion at that point. It I literally don't know is. How to, <laughs> I don't know how to conceive of this. I have three things on my list, and one of them is the curtain. And I don't know. I know, and I I feel like if we're if we end up talking about the curtain, what we're doing is potentially also just projecting our stress or my stress, I guess, about how to run the podcast onto our listeners, and now it's their problem. And now the whole time we're talking, they're thinking about what we're thinking about and now no one's thinking about the podcast and everybody's thinking about the curtain but you're telling us this i the only way i know how to deal with the curtain is to talk about the curtain (laughs) (laughs) we are a loop this is very much like that yeah this is an ouroboros of curtains Ooh, although it's nice when it's nice when i just drop a podcast title right in the middle here um there we go (laughs) An Ouroboros of curtains. Yeah, I got to go figure out how to spell that, but um, I'll worry about it's that. A lot later. of O's and R's. I know that. I have. Um, I'm back to my second option on the notebook. I so the the one downside to really committing notebooks, like I've given you some fairly confident notebook advice on the podcast about what I think are good notebooks and such. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with notebooks is that you end up with a lot of notebooks, and you kind of have to just feel out what notebook is right for what purpose. Now, I know there are some people who just like have a notebook for everything, and that's I don't understand that at all. Um, I have my line of day notebook, uh, which we've talked about. I have my bullet journal, but I have tried what a lot of people do, which is like set aside a page in the bullet journal for scribbles or random notes, and I can't do it. The bullet journal is for organized thoughts. And if I scribble randomly on a page in the bullet journal, it's deeply distressing to me. So then I have these other little notebooks. And I'm like right now on my desk, I have the bullet journal, I have three little notebooks, and I have a pile of index cards. <sighs> have you considered journaling about this issue? <laughs> no, but I, I decided I might podcast about it after I was podcasting about podcasting, which we've already done. Um, audio. This is audio journal. Audio. Did it. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, it's more of a, it's more of, it's an audio. It's, if you think of a podcast, it's more of an audio blog. Uh, a, an og. No, that's not a thing. Surely, it's, thank God, it's not a thing. No, um, okay. it will be. Yeah, I, I have a. I mean, this journal is full of. Uh, they're great for lyrics. I've been using them to write lyrics for my uh, for my music thing, and so the tiny, you, the tiny notebooks are great for that. Your lyrics. Mm-hmm. Are you more of a? I I may have asked you this before, but I don't know when. Uh, are you more of a? lyrics meaning type of person though it might be obscure or are you more of a lyrics fits a sort of aesthetic and musicality and you just go with that oh man i think mostly the former uh i'm definitely and i think this is probably a lot of people uh if i was so prompted and felt like the other person was genuinely interested and I wasn't just being indulgent would explain in depth a song. Cause oh, 
I, I hope that didn't come through. I, I just had an alarm a reminder go off. Um, I would explain in depth a song because there are definitely some songs that I've put together that's like, uh, this is, well, I have a song that's literally uh, describing being in a post-apocalyptic bar where people are exchanging cans of food for drinks. So nice, right? And that's a sort like, of a thematic, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I have a few like that where it's like this might not all be in the song, but like there's like a, a scenario in which this song is happening. Uh, so there's there there are other songs that are more just like a ex- excising a specific emotion or a series of emotions, or kind of like taking a feeling I already had and then exaggerating it to the point where it works in a song. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, there's definitely other ones. It's like, oh, this is based on a Ray Bradbury short story or something like that. So, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, it, it seems to be just a, uh, a type, but I think I'm getting a good picture of it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I, I feel very beholden to a concept usually. Um, you know, I have, uh, I, I have a couple things. Oh, wait, how was your weekend? How have you been? I did, so a good, healthy, Whoa, oh, hel- oh. I know, I know. A healthy, hel- healthy part of this podcast for me is A, saying your name, which I did already. And I had to think about it and like deliberately do it, but I did. I said Brock. Hello, Brock. I'm and uh, two is to um, actually inquire as to how you're doing and have like a My well-being. P- polite conversation. Instead you, of uh, instead of whatever whatever it is we normally am have. I the kind of person who will just tell you how it's going if it's out of the normal, or am I the kind of person that needs to be specifically addressed, or do we not talk enough up till now for you to even know that? I I don't know. I think uh, there is a, so I I think we've talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but there's the the uh the being familiar enough with someone that you don't feel like you have to say their name and to a no, to a degree those are also the kind of people that say you go and like hang out at their house you don't ask any of the setup questions you just sort of like grab a a drink out of the fridge and plop on the couch you know what i mean like oh you, very you much s- so yeah. you skip the the formalities or even the informalities and you just hang out um, True. Okay. Yeah. It would definitely depend on the person talked yeah, to. But oh, although there are people who will volunteer uh, very transparently to anyone, anything going on, right. I might well, actually prefer that. that. No, <laughs> I, I, I do prefer it to to the constantly obscured life. But anyway, sure. my, I'm doing great. I would say that's good. Uh, I feel good at this moment, and I think that's. Otherwise, I get caught trying to actually figure out like further back how I feel, and then it gets really expansive. I I can give you an anecdote from my weekend, which is that I got to stay home mostly, and since it's so lovely and warm down here, I hate you. That involves me preparing gardens, <sighs> and uh, I was removing an old raised bed and stabbed my hand on a rusty screw. Uh, looked up that tetanus has a 10% mortality rate in the modern world. Again, completely depressed that in my day and age, their cure is I'll treat the condition. Hopefully you don't die and promptly went to Walgreens and got a tetanus booster shot. Wow. Uh, so I, 
I feel you on the inherent primitiveness of medicine. As my father is a doctor, and he will be the first to say how that a concerningly large amount of medicine is that it's like you know in the 80s or before it was like throw antibiotics at this thing until it goes away and then they're like oh god we're creating super germs we have to stop doing this and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, surgery is not cool then again some other surgery is amazing and it has cool little robot arms and stuff and i have a surgery thing from this weekend but i'm going to approach it delicately i think it's worth processing but let's stick with uh, your thing for a minute before I just steal it, your thunder, um, <laughs> like incision wise. Uh, so what do you? What, so okay. First of all, my da- my dad is uh, that wasn't the first thing. My dad is allergic to tetanus boosters and had. I don't think he wears it anymore. But for a long time, he had a, a thing on a chain around his neck that said uh, that had that on there. Because uh, he's terribly allergic, and you know, if you get if you get in a car wreck, you pretty much get a tetanus booster, right? Um, and there's certain other con- contexts because tetanus is terrifying. Uh, I would urge the listeners to, if you're not really familiar with tetanus, don't necessarily worry about it. You're going to now, <laughs> um, but I'm glad you know you can get it from house dust or rust under the ground or any number of things yeah it's it's a it's a creepy one it's not quite amoeba from the pond creepy but it's definitely up there in terms of just like this shouldn't be this common this unpleasant um so you are so you you had raised beds and you removed them and you're making new raised beds yes i replaced them uh no matter what you do wood in the ground down here is not going to last but several years so I just replace it every now and then. I, re- I replaced it with two smaller ones, but double instead of one larger one. And uh, uh, successfully, I mean, as long as I'm still alive. And uh, yeah, ordered a huge amount of compost because I found a cheap source for it. That, you know, having run, and I'm, I'm going to be... It is not warm here. It's actually garbage outside and actually snowed about a quarter of an inch a couple of days ago. Just malevolently just dumped a little bit of snow on us. Uh, it's gross. It's it, March is difficult here. Um, but once the weather clears up, I'll be doing gardening here. And even to get these couple of plots here full takes a concerningly large amount of, of garden soil. It's not enough for me to get a better like uh, bulk source. But uh, you're, you know, you're talking seven, eight bucks a bag, and then you need like ten bags. It's dirt is expensive. It is the. It is not cheap, as the idiom would suggest. Yeah, what the heck, idiom? Damn it. Uh, so I'm going to. Uh, I don't know if you noticed. I posted on social uh, from from a hospital this weekend. Oh, I did. I did. Yeah, I saw your little drawings. Yeah, I debated whether to talk about it on the podcast, but frankly, it is the big thing that happened this week, so I figured it should be um, addressed. So, Felix, when she was born, had a little bump between her eyes, brows, kind of, um, like right mm-hmm. on her brow, and they we they kind of said, oh, it might go away as her head grows, and, and her skull's grown, and it hasn't gone away, and we finally got it uh, looked at. Uh, they they ultrasounded it and it is a uh, it was uh, a cyst a dermoid cyst which I urge you listeners do not listen don't 
don't look up uh, tetanus and don't look up a dermoid cyst because they're the kind that can get pretty gnarly if left for a long time with an adorable little two-year-old. Not gnarly at all. Just a little bump. Wait, and, those aren't the ones that like grow teeth, are they? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. So uh, we we um, the recommendation was to go ahead and take care of it just now before it like causes the bone to grow back or you know there's a bunch of things that can happen and uh, we were you know obviously reticent to have um, anybody uh, cut a two year old's face a little bit um, but it was so it was a little bit stressful and uh, and there's a huge run up to surgery I never realized this there. To be clear, this is in the world of things that can happen to your kid, pretty minor. But if it's your own kid, you know, everything is major uh, to some degree. And uh, their run-up is like, they told us that, that we would need to do this in like November. And the the closest opening was March, you know. So there's all these months that go by. Um, and we finally got in there and uh, it went really smoothly. She didn't she couldn't eat breakfast beforehand and it was at like noon so she got grumpy right after the surgery she inhaled a peanut butter sandwich and was totally right as rain and she's got a little uh you know a bandage over it's like a glue over a bandage over another bandage over dissolving stitches so you know it's all just supposed to slowly go away and eventually fall off after like a few weeks as clean as can be but boy it was a lot to deal with as a parent uh, this weekend. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I know just the seeing the picture. Well, you know, you drew one where you could sort of see that. And I'm assuming it was a crib, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the hospital crib next to all the plugs, mm-hmm. because when Liam was a smaller youth, uh, he got, what's the coughing one? A whooping cough? Can't breathe. Croup. Croup, thank you. You're welcome. It got bad enough that they made us take him in and get nebulizer treatments and monitoring overnight. Yeah. And then he actually had to get like a CT scan. And, you know, but basically you're seeing them with all these things around them. And it's such a strange juxtaposition because they, the saving grace is they don't, they act like they're just having like a day out. Right. And you're seeing this thing that you're having to process. And um, I don't know, sometimes it makes it worse because you see how innocent they are. But mm. overall, if it comes out well, it's a good experience to process. Yeah, well, I, I think that um, the the thing that made it weirder for us, right? Like, so you're looking around and you're right. There's the a, a room in a hospital is full of extenuating circumstances, right? There's like... You're you're just in there because the crib is there. You could be in any room. It really the crib is even incidental because all they did was like take her blood pressure and then we were off in the crib. But um, everything else in the room is distracting because it's like a zillion tubes and other things that could be used for any situation that's worse than the one that you're in, which is stay here for a minute while we go get ready. Um, and but like we you know we've got a seven year old too, and I think that that is the thing that made it a little bit more surreal for us is it's not just keep the two-year-old happy because you're right the two-year-old is just bopping around like she doesn't really care she actually really liked the crib and she has to stay in it and you know um but the with the seven-year-old there 
uh, it becomes not just a keep each other psyched up and keep yourself psyched up and everybody, you know, you you also have to put on a face for the seven year old because like there's nothing to be gained from like uh, stressing out a seven year old in that context. Like as much as I talk a big game about like telling the truth to your kids all the time and and uh, the way that we kind of always try to give them a full explanation of stuff. What I don't owe him is all of my anxieties that aren't founded, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I, I couldn't just like, if it had been just me and Felix and Shannon, I couldn't have, I could hug Shannon and be like, oh, it's going to be okay. I know all those things you're thinking, those aren't going to happen. Like, it's just going to be a little incision, blah, blah, blah. None of that, right? Instead, you're like, how's everybody doing? Woo! <laughs> and like, who wants a snack? <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> so like, you, you have to like, create this, uh, this environment that, allows both the kids to to like not only be not stressed out but to look back at it fondly and like i was texting with my sisters and one of them got a uh, her uh wisdom teeth or no or not her wisdom teeth her tonsils or adenoids removed when she was real young and she was like look all i remember is that everyone was really nice to me all day and i got a bunch of ice cream and like so that was our goal that's a is, positive right and, and that's all i really want it's like there's no reason to create a negative memory out of the day um, both the kids just need to look back and be like, whoa, that weekend we got to play a lot of Nintendo and, you know, and then we got whatever dinner we wanted that day. That was cool. You know, so that's what we tried. It is, it, it was weirdly hard on, on the old parents to maintain that front on top of everything else, but I'm thankful. Everything is fine. Uh, she's got a little, uh, little bandage and she's a sweet little girl. So awesome. Yeah. Ride his reign. Indeed. Lips. You have anything on your list? I don't, I don't want to. I'm trying to keep it lighthearted. I don't want to uh, drag it down with talk of surgery and and uh, g- grotesque uh, uh, rusty nail related injuries. Although, let me know if your if your muscles start tightening and don't untighten, and we'll stop the podcast and you can go to get that taken care of. <laughs> I uh, I'll probably just vanish. My arm is mildly sore, though. Apparently, those shots make you sore on your arm. Just to like tempt you to think that it's a muscle spasm. Yeah, they put a little. Uh, it's, a, it's a little, little extra in there just to keep you on your toes. Yep. Yeah, get, keep that adrenaline up. Helps mm-hmm. kill the toxins. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm interested. Um, I want to know if you have more thoughts on what. I don't know. It sounded like you had like multiple things. Wait, oh, did you say on, on my thing? Things? I had three yeah. things. Oh, uh, well, the third thing is. Oh, right, wait. The second thing. All right. So, oh my, We're going I know. Back. Uh, well, I wanted to talk about, um, I on, on a whim, I think I'm riding high off of the uh, the crawfish etouffee last week, but I decided I wanted to make I wanted to start covering some more ground in terms of uh, Cajun dishes. Uh, and I realized we had a bunch of red beans in the in the pantry, and I've never made red beans and rice. So I made some red beans and rice on uh, Saturday, especially coming off of the surgery and stuff, too. I was like, I'm going to go make myself busy in the kitchen. I love cooking. And the great thing about cooking is when you're cooking, you're you're only cooking and you're not really thinking. It's not like doing dishes where your brain is still busy. So you got to listen to a podcast like it takes all of me to cook and not screw something up <laughs> like full focus. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I made some red beans and rice and then, uh, riding high off the red beans and rice, I decided to, uh, ask Shannon to let me cook the rest of the week. So I'm, I like bought the groceries and I'm cooking meals after work every day. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah. Very 
very commendable or awesome. I mean, it's not that. <sighs> I mean, she does it literally every other week, uh, ever. So it, I'm not asking for a special, you know, dad, like, oh, Centcom dad's going to burn the chicken kind of thing. Like, I, I'm... I'm happy to be doing it for one week, and I would probably keep doing it after that if she let me. But um, it's definitely like I'm just trying to wing it this week and see if I see if I can come up with meals that I can put together like within an hour and getting home from work, things like that. So mm. so far, it's well, been good. I can't say any of those recipes were like fascinating. It's like you know, pan seared chicken breasts and some mustard sauce or some panko fish, that kind of thing. Uh, but I do have one thing for you, which is the actual thing I wrote down, which is something called Calbee butter. Um, and I'm going to say again, Calbee butter. It's by a guy named Edward Lee. Who's my favorite cook in the whole world. Uh, it is, I'm going to read you off what goes into Calbee butter. Cause it's a compound butter, um, which just means that you mix stuff into butter, right? It's not rocket science. Uh, you take the, okay, come on, come on recipe. Here it is. Uh, you take some soy sauce and some sugar and some other sugar, some sesame oil, some red pepper flakes, some garlic, scallions, ginger. You mix all that together, put it in the butter. That was a lot of ingredients. Garlic, scallions, ginger, sugar, sesame oil, soy sauce, butter. Not, uh, not odd ingredients. And in fact, I'm sure I've used all of those in the same dish before. Sure. But I there's just no way to say that that wouldn't be a good thing to have. It is. It is like uh, deluxe butter. You end up with uh, like a couple sticks of this, kind of wrapped in some wax paper. You make some steaks, put some cowby butter on there. You make some chicken, put some cowby butter on there. Make some okay, so- bread, put some cowby butter on there. <laughs> is there a point at which you're thinking everything? tastes great but it's because everything tastes like calbi butter no to be clear i've only put it on two things i put it on some bread and i put it on some steak like a back a couple weeks ago when i made it but it is nice to have around as a little bit of like a pizzazz on something yeah i like that idea i have i i I end up getting in a, a corner with those kind of things often where I'll have something delicious, especially a topping or a sauce that just is so great with so many things or just delicious by itself. And I just, I get overly zealous about it and it's, it's on everything. And then I have to rotate off of it, not because it's not delicious, but because I've just been eating it. So, but it's there, right? So you can always make that and and it becomes part of a, a repertoire, you know. That's kind of like that's the, actually great. That's what cooking many different things becomes over time. That's my cooking goal personally is I want to my goal in general with a lot of things, but um it applies really well to cooking is I am not interested if I decide that I'm going to do something, I want to skip the part where I just follow your instructions to do it as soon as possible. Right? Like I I um I don't want to learn how to make uh chicken with a sauce. I want to learn why that happens so that I can make chicken with a different sauce or so that I can make fish with a sauce. Like what right. is which is the part of this recipe that's actually kind of just theater. You know But it seems that and I feel remarkably similar similarly about that. But it it seems to me in practice what has happened was 
just cooking a bunch of different things, uh, you, after the fact, get that information. And it's great. And then you use it later. Uh, It's hard to just pull apart without really knowing what you're doing. So you sort of have to go through it and then be like, oh, that's why I did that. That I is get it. that is a tough thing. Like there, there's a lot of cooking that's like just try this a few times until you get it. And I'm looking at it thinking I cook twice a month, and right. I would have to like <laughs> cook the same thing every time in order to get it to the point that I've done it a few times and get it. Like so, I've gotten. I mean, some you know, I'll I'll do weekend breakfasts more often, so I've gotten a lot better at eggs and you know other basic stuff. I can just throw grits on. Like I can put together a breakfast without thinking about it now. Finally. And now that I'm 30, whatever. And, uh, and, but there are other recipes. And now I'll look at recipes and kind of try to figure out what are the steps that are there for the noobs. The, the ones that are like, uh, mince the garlic and put it in the oil. Wait two minutes. Now put in the onions. Now wait four minutes. Now it's put in true. the bell pepper. Just, and I'm like, okay, hold on. At this point, we're just heating up the bell pepper for a second before I put in more stuff. Couldn't I just... Oh, yeah. Know? Yeah. The the Blue Apron meals, I experienced that a lot because they're very well done for anybody. Right. But yeah, it's like, do this, do this until you, you know, for two minutes or until you see the crisp, a brown crisp edge on the vegetable. And I'm like... Wait a second. We're just sauteing these things in a different. Right. And I'm like, okay, I've been fooled. Or like, uh, I'm I was making a, a bean soup uh, last. Actually, this was a real uh, pro work and come home meal. I made a big giant pot of bean soup last night at like 11 p.m. So I could just heat it up as soon as I got home today. Worked out great, delicious. But one of the steps of the bean soup was definitely like you're supposed to brown the onion in the sausage and then you throw in some. Um, bell pepper and you cook it for some extremely small amount of time and then you put it all in a stock and and you boil it uh, with the beans and stuff and then you cook it for 90 minutes and it's at some point i was like i bet i could have just put the bell pepper in the stock and like just boiled it like there wasn't a point at which it was meaningful to have bell pepper in the pan other than it makes it sounds right in the recipe to do that so right or it could have been just Somebody thought it was easier to do it. Right. But, you know, it's hard to tell without having any extra perspective. And actually, this came up a lot in other things where that's why it's the best thing in the world is to have a a person who's competent in something that you need to know about who also is not overly opinionated, which is – Mm. You know, an idealistic thing to ask for, but it cuts all that out. You know, like it's imagine coming at cooking and not knowing anything and you're doing these steps and it really does either take someone who's just super great at it to explain to you the meaning behind everything right off off the bat. And then you sort of have to trust that they're figuring it out is the best thing to know or you just sort of stumble around and it might you might never learn that something is a process that you do because it shows up slightly differently in a million recipes somebody today to totally change this from cooking to something much more <laughs> serious and or controversial great is we were talking about 
reading history sources versus commentaries on, on like bringing together a bunch of original sources. And he brought up something about how people who aren't raised around or even near the Christian culture, how baffling reading through the Bible is. Uh, And when you really consider it, in this case, yeah, it'd be like just reading a recipe and you're like, I don't know what's important and I don't understand where this is going, right? And the way people grew up in it is that you're told the most important stories the most simply and then those get more stories and then a little more detail and then a sort of constant holistic interpretation where you frame everything through and it just keeps expanding out from there and if you don't have any of that yep we just don't even see how how much context goes into the way we're, we're looking at things i know that's way far away from cooking well but you know it's the same thing it's the difference between getting your advice from someone who is an in-person so like a recipe is an is a a cold unfeeling series of instructions right like uh or a you know a, a bible commentary or whatever to a certain degree what whatever your source of uh in-depth knowledge is on its face probably not going to explain itself to you right like i i here's my instruct here's my ikea bed which doesn't even have words because you know it's just pictures and a weird smiling man with a very large mouth pointing at a hex wrench or the uh you know a, a recipe on a this was literally the recipe for the bean soup by the way was just the one on the bag i just looked at it and it was a pretty solid looking recipe and it turned out it was really good because uh, it was just, you know, some peppers and onions and you throw it in a pot. And, uh, but like, no matter what, if you don't have any of that, if you don't come into any of those things with some certain amount of your own context, it's just a series of instructions. And to talk to someone who is not going to provide you with not just what they've learned, but why they've learned it and the reasoning behind their conclusions, uh, they're not that much better than the recipe Right, like the a someone who is super. You mean opinion- if they're not telling? Okay, yeah, not that's super you. opinionated. So you were saying that like what you need is someone who knows more than you, but isn't super opinionated. And to me, that means someone who knows more than you, but is is in is invested in like explaining themselves to you and not just presenting right. their conclusions. That's, yeah, I was trying to get that across. That's yeah. not that they don't believe in what they've come out with, but that they merely think it's the best way they figured out for reasons that they could readily explain to you not yeah. because well it's what works and just do it that way right and and the you know because if if they're just saying this works do it that way they're just reading me the recipe in their head uh which is still not helping um i can maybe through deduction you know and trust in them decide which of parts of my original recipe were unnecessary or whatever but it, it's that's not fun. Like that's that's not what I'm looking for. And like <laughs> when I <laughs> the I, back you know, of the package. Uh, and like I work in design. Like I do design stuff. Um, I do a bunch of things uh, that are varying levels of technical or whatever. And some of so sometimes um, I'm a real strong believer in uh, like my most of my job is like solving other people's problems. Like 
this person doesn't like this thing in the website or like can't find a button or doesn't know how this works or whatever. And like, if they can't do it, that's my job is primarily to like fix that in whatever. And that doesn't mean like doing what they say, but it does mean solving their problem or figuring out what their problem really is or something like that. Um, all that to say, like it's, it's, it involves a lot of the time, uh, very soft skill stuff where, um, I'm, I'm having to explain to someone, I'm having to justify my decisions to someone and the, and and a huge, huge part of that for me is being able to do it in a way that's, uh, human (laughs) and relies upon, like, I feel like I've won as a designer if I've explained something to somebody and they like understand more about design and me after I explain it. Like they feel like they know me better. They feel like, I, they understand the steps I took to get to this conclusion or whatever. Um, so like a huge part of it is exactly what you're saying. It's not just like, here are my, I've been to design for 10 years, button goes on the left. Like that's not, uh, I'm a designer. Be quiet is just a terrible way to like go about being a designer. Um, and I've always kind of tried to fight against that. Um, so I expect that out of other stuff. I don't know. Like, that's what I try to do. So I, I, I look at cooking and I'm like, I don't want to just, I don't want to read a, a cookbook that tells me exactly how to do everything. I want to f- like intuit why those things are happening. Uh, that kind of My thing. My sister used to plug her ears literally when I would try to explain why she was supposed to be doing a certain thing when I was tutoring her in, <laughs> I think mostly math or chemistry. <laughs> But I mean, it's, I mean, the word literal is in, on purpose in this case. Oh, I remember high school, yeah. your sister. Yeah, she would definitely what, plug her ears. Right. Did not, don't want to know why. Want to know how to make it be done. Yeah. Um, so there are mo- multiple mindsets because she is very successful and intelligent at what she does. But, so I think perhaps it is for a certain kind of person that it is beneficial for them to have certain <laughs> traits like that. Or even like for instance, categories. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. But like I mean, entire categories of things, I absolutely am. I'm not the person like I feel that way about other stuff, right? Like I don't, I don't, I think that your knitting is amazing. Please do not try to explain knitting to me. It's, it's like ab- actively upsetting to me to think about like sitting and, and going seven stitches one way and one stitch the other way for like four hours like that is that is mild torture to me uh for example i I only think of knitting because there was a phase when i was in like high school where i were four i have four younger sisters listeners and all four of them and my mother all got into knitting hard at the same time there was just knitting all over my house and I tried to knit, and I think I got like an inch into a scarf, and was like, "I can't do this anymore." I'm. It dying. was like one of it was like one of those. I'm imagining it like one of those surrealist scenes from like Fear and Loathing, where it just just it doesn't make sense. There's knitting everywhere, and you keep turning, and you think you're dreaming, and it just keeps going on. I took a bite uh, out of a sandwich, and knitting fell out. And <laughs> yes, I, I opened the door, I like and I was drowning in knitting. It's more of a Big Lebowski thing. I think I'm like oh, okay. sliding down the hallway on a, on rolls of of um, of uh, of look. I can't even yarn. Thanks. I was going to say knitting stuff, and I decided that was that was I, maybe unacceptable. I've cross stitched now. Yeah. 
That's when I different. Say cross-stitched, That's... I tried to start cross-stitching, realized it would take so many hours to do a pattern properly. Yeah. And like free-stitched, uh, how to describe this, like a, a, a silver unicorn like rearing on its hind legs at night under a cloudy sky and there's like a lightning bolt with the reflection of it in the river. Now you might think there's no way it actually looks like this because I just sort of stitched it by hand with no pattern or direction. But you would agree functionally that it is what I just said. I demand, nay, I can get you a picture of Threaten this. consequences if you do not give me a picture of this <laughs> lightning bolt reflection unicorn majesty that you're describing. Um, yeah. Boy, that went places. I thought you were going to say that you like, I stitched, I stitched a square and quit or something. But no, you free-stitched the uh, great uh, – uh, boy, it's, I was moved. Um, yeah, I demand that. Uh, please, please provide it. All right, I'll do um, a search. I, I I could maybe get in this cross stitch. Boy, this podcast is going places. Um, I I would <laughs> I would maybe I think podcast at this at cross stitch level. I'm thinking pixels. I would probably end up making a little Zelda or something. I mean, a cross stitch is just a really slow perler bead exercise. Um, at that point, I did uh, sewing when I was uh, probably five. I sewed a pair of shorts on a sewing machine. That happened. You oh, I, I I sewed a zipper one time. <laughs> nice. My, that was that was about as impressive as you were imagining my cross stitching story to be. I I'm told this could be uh a, not apocalyptic. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, this could be not true, but I'm told that uh, uh, zippers all come from the same factory. Apocryphal. Apocryphal. Thank you. I assume is what you're going for. Yeah, speaking um, of the Bible, I guess. <laughs> I've heard the same thing, which absolutely does not give us any insight into how true it is. No. I mean, I wouldn't be necessarily surprised. There's somewhere there's a zipper. Fa- I mean, you you nail down that zipper factory. Why would you switch zipper providers? I mean, once you get a zipper contract. Uh, I have a th- integration. I have a third thing on my list. I really want to get to because I feel strongly. Uh, do it, please. Um, so I was thinking about how old we were when we met. Uh, and I, I believe I could be conflating two or three things here, which is I really that should be an implicit preference to like or preface to like every story on this podcast. But um, we were uh, six or seven and there was a there was a it wasn't our church's. Uh, oh, my wife's home from French class. It wasn't. Uh, our church's activity room because we had a very small church that met in the attic of a YMCA or something. But um, we met at uh, some one of these like multi room things that was like a gym connected to a game room, and the game room had a Donkey Kong machine and a uh, cocktail table of a game that I can't remember where you shoot the ball at the other players. Uh, castles? Yeah, castle was it? Yeah, castle? it's not called castle. It might be called. I want to say Guardian. I'm going to have to look that up. Anyway, I really wish I still had that cocktail table because it was sweet. However, at that, and I don't think it was the time that we met, but a later date at that, um, at that multi-use uh, center, um, we invented a game that 
had been played has been played i want to say twice since then but the first time we invented it was the peak and this is a game called ultimate basketball how, how much do you remember about ultimate basketball okay. so i definitely know this exists oh but no hold on I, i'm gonna rely heavily on you to to recount if the more details you can give me the more my brain will add back in what happened okay well you're gonna have to wait a second because i'm i'm currently taking in the majesty of the cross okay so not totally untrue right i you know i'm sort of upset about how you just i don't think retired after that i don't think i could draw a recognizable unicorn with like a pencil that may have been my most shocking to me i was like oh this does look like <laughs> so i'm gonna i mean this will have to be the podcast art but I, there's a there's a cloud uh cover there's a there's a very like uh per, like asymmetrical yet dynamic lightning bolt uh silver, co- silver thread yeah oh really hmm. um it is uh and it's there's sort of like thinner thread filling out the middle and thicker thread around the edge which is a nice uh nice artisanship um there's a there's a horizon line with some mild shading there's a uh, river going off into the distance, and there's a there's a uh, gorgeous uh, purple and white outlined unicorn uh, uh, rearing back on its glorious haunches. Uh, yeah, boy, mm. quite a um, a lot of. If only they could hear of, this description before getting to see the actual. Yeah. Sure. sure no i it mean it's, be, it's the it's, picture will be released its mane is wild and free it's got a caboose on there um yeah boy there's a lot boy this is a lot all right um woo uh okay so ultimate basketball um here's how it works i'm just going to give the, the 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 listenership the full rules of ultimate basketball because i think it is the greatest game that that hasn't been played yet except more than three times uh, what you need is you need a uh, you need a b- basketball court, you need a and a racquetball, and you need an even number of people. You could have four people, you could have eighteen people. It doesn't matter. You, you yeah, this is ringing a bell. So there's uh, this is ultimate frisbee rules. If you're holding the racquetball, you can't run. You can pivot. You get you have one teammate. It, the the teams are in number of teams of two. <laughs> you have one teammate uh, when if if the ball changes possession, it's uh, it's half court basketball rules where you just go to the opposite goal. You know, you, you get possession of the ball, you just got to go to the one on the other side. Uh, you are you. That's it. There are no more rules. You you. There's no contact. It's not tackling. I guess, but like you can try to hit that goal from wherever you want on the court with that ra- racquetball. Uh, you can you can pass it to your teammate, uh, and uh, that's it. And the score I, and the first time we played it was the peak of ultimate basketball. I want to say we had like f- seven teams or something. So someone's yelling out the score like the score is zero two one three three two one. <laughs> 